next episode of Connor's Organisational Change and HR Services podcast. We're broadcasting to enable carefully selected guests to come and talk to us about key concerns, passions or current trends that they want to discuss, debate and bring to the fore. This series has a number of episodes already available for download, covering topics such as setting up sustainability and climate change initiatives in SMEs, through to protecting the menopausal talent pool and how to manage parental returner schemes. We invite our guests to share and discuss their views regarding on-trend front page subjects that our customers, colleagues and thought leaders are also talking about. The contemporary workplace is dealing with an ever complex set of circumstances and rules and attracting talent to fit into these requirements is ever challenging, particularly since the pandemic and the resulting competitive job market. Attracting the right and diverse talent is a challenge and my guests today have a particular topic they would like to discuss and that's neurodiversity and its impact on recruitment. It is with great pleasure therefore that I introduce two guests today from Cavendish Education, Rachel Slevin, their Group People Director, and Joanne Houston, who leads a programme called Cavendish Works, which supports young people transitioning from education to meaningful employment. My absolute warm welcome to you both, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Nikki. Thank You're you. very and hello. Nice to meet you. Okay, so let's set the scene first by coming to you, Joanne. I think it's really helpful if we could actually just set the scene by defining what we mean by the terms neurodiversity and neurodivergent. Absolutely. So neurodiversity is a relatively new term and it was first coined by the sociologist uh, Judy Singer. And I suppose neurodiversity in its simplest form describes the infinite range of differences in the um, individual human brain function and the behaviour traits. It's a move away from the, the medical model that tends to focus on deficit and Thomas Armstrong, in his book, uh, The Power of Neurodiversity, tried to make a shift, although still recognising the challenges that come from um, thinking differently and uniquely. But he tried to shine a light rather on the deficit, on some of the strengths, because he felt it was important that we don't always look at what a person can't do and we look at what they can do. Um, the other fundamental reason for the term neurodiversity is um, many people who identify being neurodiverse don't identify with other terms such as being disabled or SEND, um, that they, they don't feel their condition is something that needs to be cured or fixed or treated. It's simply a neurological difference. And just to clarify there, Joanne, um, that SEND reference there is special educational needs and disability, is that right? It is indeed. I apologise. I work in education and use acronyms. Nope, that's fine. And, and on that basis, um, listeners, we will be producing for this particular episode a glossary of terms that will come in the notes of the podcast, just so it makes it easy for you. I interrupted, Joanne. Please carry on. That's fine. So the term neurodiversity itself refers to the infinite variation of the human cognitive function and behaviour. Neurodivergent, this is the term that we tend to use when we're referring to people in one or several respects of a thinking style that diverges significantly from what's thought of as typical, which has sometimes been coined as neurotypical or a generalist. Mm -hmm. um, and neurodivergence is the state of being neurodivergent. So it's worth noting that a common misuse of language is a talk of individuals' neurodiversity, better for an individual's neurodivergence. 
Okay, thank you for that clarification. So what are some examples of neurodiversity, Joanne? So the term refers to neurological conditions uh, such as autism, attention deficit hyperactivity um, disorder, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, uh, Tourette's syndrome, OCD, anxiety, epilepsy, or acquired neurodivergence through an instance or brain trauma. Okay, that's really interesting. And, and I think those are all terms that we'll all recognise as hearing, but won't necessarily know exactly what they mean from an HR perspective. That's really helpful. Thank you. So moving on from that then, Joanne, what are the benefits? Why would we want to attract a neurodivergent workforce? So the statistics, if you think about the statistics, they vary considerably um, with regards to the proportion of the population in the UK that are thought to be neurodivergent. So Autism Speaks estimates it's as high as 30 to 40 percent. A more general percentage tends to sit around 15 to 20 percent. But if you take that as an average recruitment process, it could be as high as one in 10 of your applicants will be neurodivergent in some way. By understanding your diversity um, and being truly inclusive in your business, you'll be more representative of your workforce the clients you're providing the service to as well. Mm -hmm. um, the advantages, I suppose, that um, for the business to have a neurodiverse um, workforce, I don't think it's really, um, really challenged anymore that a diverse team is generally thought to bring many benefits to the, to the team, you know, across the board. Neurodiversity itself is almost like a vertical cross-section of diversity. So it, it enters into every form of diversity, gender, ethnicity, culture, it, it's within there. Um, and some of the specific benefits I suppose it could bring or, um, or believed to bring is increased creativity. It breeds, um, diversity breeds innovation, increased employer engagement and loyalty. Um, and also um, it can, it's thought by, um, to increase productivity. Big mega companies such as JP Morgan um, have identified that their artistic employees achieve on average 48 to 140 percent more work than their neurotypical colleagues, depending on the roles in which they're in. An increased ability to problem solve. You think thinking uniquely or thinking differently, they're going to come at problems in a way in which others don't see. And so they'll come up with solutions in a way that others don't see. Um, a better understanding of your audience mm. as they represent the, the general population uh, more evenly. Um, in fact, you know, some of the inclusive companies are saying that it's 1.7 times more likely to be innovation leaders and one times 1.8 times more likely to cope with change by having a neurodiverse workforce. So just you know, at the tip of the iceberg, there are a few of the advantages of having a neurodiverse workforce. That's really interesting. And I think it's all those things that we talk about um, as headline objectives, but we don't really understand why it's important. And that that kind of covers it for you. OK, so that being said, then we know that that's the advantage. So what are the main barriers? What makes it difficult for the neurodiverse in attaining employment and being able to showcase how good they are, what their talents and skills are? How do they go about that? 
So I, I actually think this is quite a complex question um, and I don't think there's one, one clear answer because it would be so unique to so many individuals. But I think one of the, the accepted main barriers is the recruitment process as it kind of comes at you as a one size fits all. Mm. So currently the, the hiring process has been developed with the neurotypical in mind. Um, and so they're designed by companies to look for generalists, broad descriptions of skills such as outstanding communication skills that might not actually be necessary for the, the skill of a particular job, but we tend to put it in um, as a desired. So this may put off some neurodiverse talent from actually applying because they won't see that as a particular talent of theirs, so won't feel they're able to do the job um, on that. So. In that, I just one of the, the facts that comes to mind, and it's not meant in any way to be um, an insult, just a, a sort of a shine a light on. In a recent poll of HR professionals, only 10% factor neurodiversity into their people management processes. So we need to really be supporting our HR teams um, to review and update their selection processes and to understand why they're doing that. Um, and, and a few quick, easy steps to follow could be really looking at job descriptions. You know, per job description may make it appear a company that's looking for a generalist. So make sure your job description is clear and concise, avoiding unnecessary jargon. And note mentioning that a company's support of neurodiversity will also be a positive. Um, accept alternatives to written applications. Um, that can open the door to many um, individuals as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Review the format of the interview. Um, is the traditional interview really the best method of showcasing the skills you need? Would a task-based activity actually be better suited for, for shining a light on the skills of that individual? And because neurodiverse conditions are invisible, the candidate may not have disclosed, and it's essential that those interviewing are, um, are informed about neurodiversity and how to conduct a neurodiverse friendly interview. It should be a universal strategy rather than just brought out for particular individuals who have yeah. disclosed. Yeah. So sending as a, as a, you know, as a standard, the questions out to interviewees or and um, with really clear instructions about where the interview is and who may be leading the interview and what the process of that day would look like or will take so much of the anxieties away for individuals so that when they are there their whole self is is engaged in the activity rather than the unnecessary facts of being able to find the the um, location giving a time um, a person time to process um, we love to fill gaps we're not very comfortable with <laughs> silence, silence. You know, and, and so we, we fill it with um, chatter, unnecessary chatter, which can actually just fill the head and, and distract individuals. So general chatter, sometimes if it's not necessary, just giving people time and space to be still and be quiet. And within the interview, let someone process, just give them silence to come back in their own time. And I think a standard, and I think this many of the strategies I think work for neurotypical as well as neurodiverse and and so one would be avoiding noisy distracting environments would also be a good tip i would say in the process i think that's so interesting in that we all know that we should make adjustments and offer people adjustments for an interview but again 
it's a standard line that's added. Do we really know what we mean from an HR perspective about what that looks like for in different individuals? And I think that's such a, a great list of tips to follow. And as you say, not just for those that are who have different issues, but people that are neurotypical as well. It would help everyone in that interview process. Yeah, agreed. Joanne, that, that's been really helpful. Thank you. Um, so coming to you, Rachel, from your perspective, um, when you're delivering that people strategy and you're thinking about that recruitment, how do you ensure that um, that you as a business and that your HR team, you're actually attracting those neurodiverse applicants? How do you make that happen for you? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. I think there's a number of ways that we can, we can do that. I think we need to be really, companies need to be really open about what we're doing and what they're doing as a company to support the workforce. It's a bit about your brand building, thinking about how you're neurodiverse friendly. Guaranteed, there will be people in every business who, have, who are neurodiverse, no Absolutely. doubt about it. And already those adjustments will be being made maybe not with a formal label on them, but the adjustments will be being made somewhere. So thinking carefully about how companies are already doing that, how your business is already doing that. And thinking about attracting those applicants, we might want to think about you know, where you advertise. Um, we've been talking at length, myself um, and Joanne, about the fact that neurodiverse agencies do exist. So don't just think about your traditional routes. You might be able to go to a neurodiverse agency and work with them very closely. This is about attracting a brand new pool of talent to your business and, and knowing why you're doing it as well. So really fantastic opportunity to do that. Joanne's talked about this a little bit, but thinking about the, the kind of process that you go through, if a candidate is aware that you have quite a complex application process, you're going to go through complex selection processes, massive barrier, and you're going to put people off before they've even got to the end of an advert. So thinking about simplifying any application forms, being clear about your process, making the process as simple as possible, where it can be. Maybe thinking about um, showing that process as a diagram or a flow chart so that it feels really easy to, to kind of understand. Um, and then um, having as short an application process as possible. And Joanne mentioned, you know, job descriptions. Really think carefully about your skills that you're asking for. Do you really need those skills? And then when you're assessing those skills, do that in the appropriate way. Um, I think businesses should offer adjustments as a matter of course. We're all individual, neurodiverse or neurotypical. We're all individuals at heart. And if you're going to get the best out of people, then you, you treat people like an individual. So think about adjustments regardless, uh, just to get the best from somebody. I'm, I'm fascinated about you mentioning that there are, you know, um, job agencies and, and people that specialise in in this area i think that's something that people would be really interested to hear more about um so if you if you've got any um references or anybody we can add to the the notes please let us know on that one i think that would be really well. helpful I, I i didn't know that that was even possible that you had um, agencies that would that would specialize in that so that's really really fascinating it is it is and there's loads of help and there's loads of people out there who are looking to help neurodiverse individuals find and, and work in employment um so, yeah, as, as we talked about, and I think as Joanne's mentioned, you know, thinking about your selection processes, perhaps online interviews, being really careful about your questions. A person with autism might take your question quite literally. There was a great example I heard the other day where somebody asked a 
candidate who had told us they had autism and said, how did you find your last job? And the candidate said, I looked it up on the map. You know, so they weren't thinking, how, how was the experience? They were thinking, how did I literally find that job? The literal interpretation of the question. The literal interpretation of that mm. question. So thinking about your questions, and we can all be a bit lazy with our questioning sometimes, and just assuming that people know what we mean. So being very specific about your questioning. Um, so, so yes, people are very clear what it is. Candidates can be really clear what it is that you're wanting to know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on that basis then, um, if you... You know, to take your point, we should be clearer and, and looking at our process more carefully generally. What kind of adjustments might actually get requested by those those neurodiverse candidates? What what should we be thinking of as a top line? OK, um, I think it's something to consider, not just for candidates who might be applying for roles, but also for employed staff and colleagues who, who you have in your business. But I think really importantly, nobody should assume about any of the adjustments that might be required so you can't make an assumption if somebody comes and says I have autism you think I know somebody else with autism we need to do xyz and there's a really great quote or saying which is when you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person you know yeah. it's not one size fits all so really I think um, being led by the individual is very important some common adjustments I think in the workplace, and these might translate across to an application process or an interview process, um, might be to provide headphones to minimize uh, distractions if somebody's being asked to complete a task. It also protects the person from loud, which can be overwhelming noises. Um, avoiding really bright lights, that kind of sensory overload, that can be very real, it can be very distracting. Mm -hmm. um, and thinking about somebody in the workplace, you might want to adjust hours. So it's just about productivity rather than hours served. Back to the application or selection process, offering quiet spaces where they can actually have time to think and process. So individuals get the best from our candidates. Yeah, and I think, as we said earlier, offering that um, time for reflection in the interview. What about things like technology or devices? Is there something you can do there as well, do you think? Joanne, you'd have a bit more experience of this than I would. I'm, I've not come across anything other than maybe written tasks where there's a kind of a verbal dictation. So assistive technology is, is free in a lot of devices now um, and can be really useful, but just having it uniformly offered on all the devices, again, it, it creates a uniform, you know, spell check is great, but you can have um, text to talk and talk to text um really easy accessible now um and will help um a lot of people who are dyslexic so i would say assisted technology where it's so readily available is is should, will become a given in, in all companies very soon so mm. getting ahead of the game really is going to support that the other element that um we've been kind of going closer to is that person-centered management Right. So if you think, you know, a lot of companies have um, historically you've, you've got goals, haven't you, when you're doing um, a, a, a sort of setting targets for a, an individual. And, you know, it could be for the neurodiverse, you just don't hit specific targets, but actually you're doing all this other stuff. So being really centred, person centred in your management so that you're not supporting a person because of their diversity, you're supporting a person because they're a person. And yeah. again, that that helps you get that universal platform um, of, of, of kind of um, equity, 
I, I like the word equity rather than equality, yeah. you know, and, and having that across a, as a universal inclusive environment, um, I think it's very positive. I think it's too easy, isn't it, to um, set um, management targets and so on for individuals that do the same role, for example. Well, because you're all doing this role, there are some of the things you should be doing. Well, every individual is different. And that's a classic example of where you can make that individual um, and help them achieve what they're capable of and what they really can excel at. Absolutely. The bottom line is you're, you're trying to help people be the best version of themselves, which bring the best productivity to you and your company, aren't you? Absolutely. So Absolutely. It, it becomes sensible to, to manage and work in that way, I believe. I think that's true. So I, I guess the next sort of question really is if you've got if you're already working with an organisation and you've got somebody that has been working with the organisation for a long time and maybe hasn't, as we discussed earlier, hasn't declared that they have, uh, that they're neurodiverse, that maybe, to be honest, maybe they don't necessarily know themselves or it's something they've chosen not to declare. But there's a, a suspect there that the management is thinking, you know, we, we might have an issue here. How does that work? Rachel how does the manager approach that should they just come straight out with it should they get advice what do we do in that situation it's quite a common query to be absolutely honest and, and people feel awkward they don't want to do the wrong thing they don't want to upset people and also there's a this legal element to this and you, you know you absolutely. don't want a, a claim being brought against you for saying the wrong thing thinking about the application process you know by law when somebody is in an interview process or about to be offered a job, it's not the right moment to start asking them about adjustments or health issues. And so we'd never advise that people do that until perhaps somebody has been offered that role, accepted that role, and then you talk about what adjustments can be made. Our advice, always be led by the individual. Let them disclose. Um, the disclosure is very personal preference, um, and it will be related to how psychologically safe somebody is feeling. Um, so we want to be, as Joanne mentioned, person-centred in our support, you know, get to know somebody's needs without the label necessarily, support them to work to their ultimate potential. That's the point. Rather, so if you haven't got the diagnosis, you haven't got that label, forget it. You, you just work with the individual, their mm -hmm. needs uh, and their requirements to get the best from them. Well, that, that brings me on to my next point, actually. So within our in our organizations if somebody doesn't have a formal diagnosis um can they still get access to those workplace adjustments do we have to is it a bit like disability do they have to prove something or is it, what can be done in those circumstances yeah i mean people are entitled to reasonable work-based adjustments at all stages of recruitment process as well as all stages of employment without formal diagnosis and as i said that disclosure is really a personal preference um so I think companies should be creating opportunities so it's easy to disclose rather than it being a barrier to disclose. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, adjustments should be made for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Not and individual. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's very clear, ladies, that we feel and you feel very strongly that there is a whole talent pool out there that is available and willing and capable and a real asset to an organisation. If you had to choose one thing that you change even in Cavendish today, what, what would you do? What would you how would you how are you going to go about it? Oh, that's an interesting question. There's loads actually that I think we would want to change. But I think for me, and uh if I'm thinking about that question, 
I would probably want to overhaul our selection processes. The application processes are quite difficult. Working in education, we do need to do very specific things. And some of those aren't always in favour of neurodiverse candidates. We need detailed application forms. We need detailed information. Those application forms can be a little bit tricky. I think we could present that a bit better, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Still mm -hmm. get detail, but present it a little bit better. I think we can fall into the trap of treating everybody in the same way. And I wouldn't say that across the board for every single school, but you know, you're, you're in a hurry, you need to fill your vacancy, you can treat everybody the same way. So I think really when we're revamping our recruitment processes, which we will be doing, um, then we'll be thinking about that very, very specifically. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. Joanne, just coming to you, um, any last tips or, or ideas that you think we should be sharing with our HR professionals, particularly listening to this podcast, who might think, I really do treat everybody the same. I'm a, you know, I'm a generalist. I don't really think about this. Um, where would they start? Are there any um, other tips you could give them or is it just the stuff that we've talked about already today? I think start by listening to this podcast and <laughs> really is it's, it's talking, isn't it? It's shining a light on what people can do rather than fo focusing on what people can't do. I think by focusing on what people can't do, it creates stereotypes um, and helping people move away from that as just saying people are people. And we have some unique people who think um, uniquely and learn uniquely. And, and, and it's as simple as that. If the intent is good, then we're, we're all right. It's OK to ask. You know, sometimes we get a little bit tripped up in the terminology and, and that we overthink um, elements. But actually, if the intent is I'm curious, then curiosity is the best place to start and asking those questions and linking in with schools and supporting with work experience um, and experiences of the workplace for young neurodivergent people so that they have aspirations and they're breaking down the barriers and then you kind of have a twofold don't you the employers yep. are learning about neurodivergence um, in a safe way through the young people coming into their companies and helping them from the ground to go okay I can see the talent I can see what we could do I can see these young people are wonderful and fantastic and on the second hand, our young people are having aspirations and having their world opened up to the potential of meaningful lifelong employment. Yeah. And as that Generation Z comes through, that coupled with their sense of sustainability, commitment, climate change, all of those other things that go alongside them, work-life balance, they're going to be a really interesting talent pool for us. I think, Joanne, for me, your headline that, that struck me most in this whole process is you know, focus on what people can do rather than what they can't do. Um, and that's really the message I'd like to leave at the end of this podcast is that if we all look at our talent pool and, and focus on what people can do and put those different cans together, then between us, we'll, we'll end up with a, a workforce that is much more collaborative, capable and diverse. And that's what we look for. Happy on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. Um, I really appreciate your time today and um, we'll be in touch if we want to talk about this in the future. Lovely. Thank you, Nikki.